Located at Toronto Reference Library, the Brahmin Bluma Appel Salon is a vibrant literary and cultural commons in the heart of the city. It is a place where writers, thinkers, artists, and innovators from around the world gather for conversation and debate. For more information, please visit www.tpl.ca slash appelsalon. On Thursday, February 18th, as part of Black History Month celebrations, Marlon James, celebrated author and winner of the 2015 Man Booker Prize, visited the Appel Salon to talk about his book, A Brief History of Seven Killings. Sponsored by TD Bank, here is Marlon James in conversation with Toronto International Film Festival Artistic Director, Cameron Bailey. Welcome. Thank you so much for coming. It is so good to see so many people here for books. It's incredible. Um, although I spent a lot of time with movies, books were my first love. I spent a lot of time reading, spent a lot of time in libraries growing up. I want to begin with a quote, not from a book. When the rain fall, it don't fall on one man's housetop. The singer sang that in 1977, the year after he was almost shot dead. Bob Marley maintains a hold on the imagination of hundreds of millions of people all over the world, which is not bad for a boy who grew up in Kingston, Jamaica. Marlon James also grew up in Kingston, Jamaica. He's the author of three novels, John Crow's Devil, 2005, The Book of Night Women in 2009, and his most recent book, A Brief History of Seven Killings. This book is an epic portrait of the world of Jamaica from 1976 to the US in the 1990s when political tensions, street violence, music, drugs, sex, and fame collide and reshape each other. There's 75 characters, 10, narr 10 narrators, and so much things to say. Marlon James won the Man Booker Prize for a brief history of seven killings. He now teaches literature at McAllister College in St. Paul, Minnesota, and he's here to join us in conversation this evening. Please join in welcoming Marlon James. Man, this is, this crowd is huge. It means I can't swear. <laughs> it means people might join you if you start swearing. <laughs> Welcome. It's been a while since you were in Toronto, right? Yeah, I think I was here, what, for my first book, so probably like 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cities change a lot if you got outside, but you won't do because it's winter. Yeah, but if I, you live got outside, I live you in Minneapolis. This oh, is right, fall. So. <laughs> okay. is, uh... You're used to this. <laughs> um, look, I want to begin by talking about the scope of the novel and, yep. and the, the culture that, that informed it. Um, so, I've read that you've talked about the reality of the West Indies, of Jamaica in particular, and how it demands more than just a linear narrative. And this is not a linear book. Right. Um, how life and the culture in the Caribbean demands more than just a beginning, a middle, and an end, demands more than just one true story. Um, there are many voices mm -hmm. in the book. Can you talk about that element of it, about trying to capture just how you live um, in Jamaica? Yeah, I mean, that's almost a story of the, the genesis of the novel itself, because even I didn't get Jamaica when I was writing it. Is that right? Because I, I, the, for a long time, I was looking for this one magic voice that would tell the whole story. So even I believe at one point there was just one Jamaican story. Right. And I kept failing, and, I kept, and for a long time I kept thinking that, well, I'll just find the other magic voice hmm. uh, that will tell the whole story. Mm -hmm. And... Um, it wasn't even me, I can't even take credit for it. It was uh, my friend Rachel who said, why do you think this is one person's story? Hmm. And uh, when last of I read As I Lay Dying, which is the Faulkner novel, right. Right. which was a big eureka moment, mm -hmm. but also me realizing as, you know, Jamaica as, as small, and I use small in quotes as Jamaica maybe, there are like 15 different Jamaicas in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I have friends who live in Kingston who have never seen downtown Kingston. Really? You all know who you are. Yeah, in a country with such pro, people with such close proximity to each other, mm -hmm. still manage these really exclusive lives. And, uh, and also another thing I wanted to capture is just the different varieties of Jamaica and Patois. Mm. Yes. That there is just no one 
um, standard patois, depending on where you are, class, geography. So I realized it could not, it, it, it um, I, I answer it this way. So my, my French translator almost gave up. She was like, <laughs> she was like no, she's fine with the patois. Mm -hmm. um, she was like, the stories don't add up. I'm like, welcome mm -hmm. to Jamaica. <laughs> the, the, the stories can't add up. Mm -hmm. They won't add up. Mm -hmm. and, I real, and I had to let go of that as well, because my last novel followed a pretty solid arc. Mm -hmm. This novel doesn't end, it stops. Right. So yeah. it's just, yeah. you kind of just come in and dip into Jamaica and dip, mm -hmm. back, dip back out, you know? Right, and, and it kind of overlaps on, on itself as yeah. well. It feels like it's interwoven mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And what I like about the voices as well is that it's not just that there is, you know, sort of high, middle, lower class Jamaican voices, but people mm -hmm. kind of code shift as well. Yeah. They can speak in different ways at different circumstances. Mm -hmm. People understand what those different codes mean. Yeah, because I think uh, certainly Jamaicans in the diaspora understand is we code switch all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it's, it's interesting going back to Jamaica. The problem is that I was always a bad code switcher because <laughs> yeah. I sound like this in Jamaica as well. Uh -huh. And uh, that doesn't fly everywhere. Not Jamaica. everywhere. Yeah. Like, where did you go away for school? <laughs> University of the West Indies. Right, right. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, because I think that that is what um, reinforces um, community. It also reinforces difference. Mm. I think. Um, in Jamaica, it's just so it's it's just such a, a messy way in which those whole codes and those things overlap. Mm. Especially if you're somebody who sounds like a class that you don't belong to, right? Which is kind of Nina's problem. Mm. She sounds like she'd be rich, but she's kind of dirt poor, <laughs> right? Uh, she's found the, the the right code for her, I guess. Yeah, yeah. but she's uptown enough that she can be snobbish, but not uptown enough that she comes from Norbrook. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. <laughs> um, one of the things that the book reminded me of in, in the, the different voices and the epic scope and the sense of a journey was, um, I mean, the Odyssey, Ulysses, you talk about how you read Greek tragedy before mm -hmm. you write yeah. every book, which is maybe a little bit of a surprise, but when you look at the whole scope <laughs> of, of this book, yeah. maybe less so. Can you talk a little bit about you know, where you're finding those, uh, yeah. those influences? Yeah, I go back to Greek, Greek tragedy and Greek poetry for, for a lot of reasons. One. I actually think the Greek dramatists are the only people who understood human condition. Hmm. I think. How do you mean? Meaning that a, tra a Greek tragic hero could have some really appalling flaws. <laughs> murderous flaws. Murderous actually. flaws. Yeah. You know, yeah. father killing, mother marrying flaws. Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and they're still the hero of the story. That I think they had an understanding of the, the, for want of a better word, darker aspects of human nature without dismissing the person. Hmm. And I think they're the only people who got a serious grip on it, not even Shakespeare. Really? I think, uh, I mean, to an extent, but I think um, that they, it, and it's something we're dealing with now when our heroes do something less than heroic, it destroys their entire reputation. Mm -hmm. Whereas for Greeks, that would just be Thursday. <laughs> uh, <so> I, so <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, the other things, a lot of things I also draw from them. Um, how to how to deal with the off-stage event that has profound mm. um, um, consequences. The other thing I get from it, and it's been into into used to different extents in all three of my books, is the whole idea of a Greek chorus. Mm. Um, in my first book, the Greek chorus actually contradicts the author. Uh, and in the second novel, it's sort of this herald. And in, mm -hmm. in this novel, the Greek chorus is really more of a, a Cassandra. It's, it's this mm -hmm. ghost that tries to tell people things, but nobody listens. Right. Mm -hmm. um, there is, uh, there's also, uh, I think, a sense that, um, that you're not so interested in facts. You mm -hmm. said that gossip, rumors, the things that maybe can never be proven. Right. Um, are an important part of your storytelling, anyhow. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about that and, and why, why, the, why you trust those mo maybe more than you do facts? Well, there are lots of reasons not to trust facts, mm -hmm. um, in, in, certainly in the, Jamaican, in the Jamaican scenario, because mm -hmm. um, especially in the 70s, news was shaped by propaganda. Mm -hmm. um, news had a, a very, I mean, it's not like, it's not Fox News that taught us how to be partisan. We've been doing it for a while. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so you, you can't necessarily, that's the only way in which I, I, I go back mm -hmm. to those sources, just to see how biases fall 
And, you know, in Jamaica, I trust what the person around the road is going to tell me. Right. Um, I don't have to necessarily do, read a, a, a history, and I'm a huge follower and fan of, of history, but I don't necessarily have to read a sort of written account of what happened to no woman in a cry. I mean, Georgie's mm -hmm. still at the corner. <laughs> right. You can ask yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know. <laughs> um, all right. And, and a lot of the, the, the scoops mm -hmm. in this novel came from that usual veranda conversation that Jamaicans will have. They'll never go on record, right. but they'll tell you all sorts of stuff. And I mean, a lot of the stuff about this, including Marley um, possibly financing a third party, came from a discussion up a hill. Huh. So all of this kind of su 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 su. This yeah, is, uh, yeah, and I, this I, is important. Right? Yeah, I don't want I don't <laughs> yeah. want the official story. I want the gossip. Uh -huh. Right. Uh, I, uh -huh. I trust rumors. I, it, it was certainly you know it's part of the whole madness of the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, um, anybody who's lived in the Caribbean knows why one hundred years of solitude is one hundred years of solitude. Uh, and and, yeah. and Mark has said mm -hmm. it. If you if you're from the Caribbean, you understand why his novel had to be that way. Right. Right. Because the. The magic, the fantasy, it has the same yeah, weight. The magic, the, the fantasy, yeah. the craziness, yeah. the truth, the yeah. beauty, the violence, mm -hmm. um, the beat. Okay, but you are the son of a detective and a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who deal in facts. Yeah. <laughs> so what is that like? I mean, how did, how did you come to, to this position, given how you grew up? Well, you know, I, the, the thing I like about my mom uh, and nobody believes it because everybody mm -hmm. who meets her thinks she's just the sweetest person. She mm -hmm. holds her bag like this. <laughs> you know, and my mom is the type of person, I'm like, you know, mommy, I'm going on TV. And she goes, not with that breath. Um, wow. Really? And nobody believes me. Mm -hmm. Nobody believes me. That. Mm -hmm. I'm like, she will kill you. Mm -hmm. She's like, oh. <laughs> um, but that sort of um, Cutting across, going beyond the stuff people tell you or the stories mm -hmm. you people want to hear and going mm -hmm. beyond that. So a sort of truth telling I got from her. And my mm -hmm. father was really into um, poetry and Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. And um, that kind of really infected me, particularly the Shakespeare. And, um, when did you start reading Shakespeare? That's a different question from when did I start understanding Shakespeare. Okay, all Just right, tell us both. You know that. <laughs> When I started reading Shakespeare, I think in high school, okay. um, Julius Caesar first, a merchant of Venice, and um, Hamlet, Coriolanus, and then I just kind of went through right. nearly all of them. And when did the understanding come? Have, what? <laughs> <laughs> Work in That's progress? That's not true. I, actually, you know, I, I, I really clicked with Shakespeare pretty, mm -hmm. pretty early. I keep running into um, my high school teacher, and she's like, I still remember you. You got a perfect score for Shakespeare, and nobody's ever done that. Hmm. Then I feel out of two parts of the paper. So. <laughs> um, but again, the, the things I like about Shakespeare is the same things, some of the same things I like about Greek. Greek tragedy, um, just telling a really big story on an epic scale, mm -hmm. like how to tell a big story. Right. And I think that those are still the model on how to do that. Mm -hmm. I don't hear in, in interviews I've read with you, you yeah. talk that much about contemporary authors mm -hmm. um, because uh, I, mean, I hate all of them. <laughs> Can you just list the ones that you hate? <laughs> But I'm just curious because, I mean, obviously these are big influences, you know, yeah. the Greek tragedy, Shakespeare. Um, are you influenced in any way by authors from, say, you know, the last century or a little bit more you can, you current? Can, you, could have, you could have said the last decade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm a, especially for this novel, I'm a, I, I'm a big fan of crime fiction. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, James Elroy was a huge, huge, huge influence on this, mm -hmm. particularly American tabloid. Oh, okay. um, you know, Alice said this thing, the great American novel just re reveals a great American inferiority complex. Interesting. But if you were to force me to pick one, mm -hmm. I'd pick American tabloid. I want to hear a little bit more about the American inferiority complex. Yeah, we'll get, you know, we're in Canada. That. Yes. <laughs> where we think we own that. I won't be banned. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so, I, so I read a lot of crime fiction. I was at James L. L. James L. Roy, Richard mm -hmm. Price. Okay. Um, uh, Tony Morrison is pretty much the God I pray to every night mm -hmm. and in the day. Mm -hmm. uh, somebody once asked me, do you think you'll ever get out of our influence? I'm like, why would I want to? Writers like Jonah Diaz and Edwidge Danticat okay. um, just <laughs> sort of, uh -huh. you know, just like you're doing it and you're telling these deeply personal 
Caribbean stories. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I love is that Juno does not translate his Spanish. Right. I was like, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's called Google Translate. Go, <laughs> do figure some, it out. Do some work. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I, um, I'm a big fan of Alan Hollinghurst. Um, I think uh, I, I actually use him in my class. I'm like, this is my rule if you want to use adverbs in my class. This is a very, very simple rule. Go to sleep tonight and wake up, and you wake up as Alan Hollinghurst. <laughs> then he can use adverbs. He, he and is nobody a else. genius at it. The rest of us suck. Really? But he's a he's, he's like Nabokov in an adjective. I'm like, come on. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's, it's, so yeah, I actually do read a lot of um, of, of contemporary contemporary um, writers and contemporary fiction. I'm also very much interested in where Jamaican fiction mm -hmm. is going. And we have a lot of great writers, you know, Kai Miller, Roland Watson Grant, Patricia Powell, Patricia mm -hmm. Dunker. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I I, 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 I think I read all. I read. I, all I, right. It's funny. I, the thing is, the truth is, I actually, I, I will start hundreds of books, but I'll only finish like ten. <laughs> Because I can't stop starting books. Oh, really? Yeah. It's do awful. you get disappointed, or why do you stop? No, anything. It could just be TVs on, although I don't even have one. <laughs> so, <laughs> easily distracted. It's a terrible addiction. I can't stop starting okay. books. I started two today. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. Um, you mentioned other Jamaican authors. Mm -hmm. What I'm interested in, I don't know if I'm going to be able to phrase this properly, but what I'm interested in is how Jamaica expresses itself right. um, through many different uh, forms, many different mm -hmm. vocabularies, and, and not just uh, language, not just written language or spoken language, but including that. Um, obviously, you know, it's a place of incredible depth and innovation of its music. Mm -hmm. um, you think of athletics in Jamaica as a form of expression as well, both in terms of cricket, track and field, great artists, I, I would say, suggest, in that area. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's also a place where the country expresses itself through gun violence, mm -hmm. through a kind of intensity of political conflict, an intensity of homophobia. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different discourses that yeah. express what Jamaica is. Um, can you talk a little bit about where your language for Jamaica or from Jamaica fits into all of this, these other ones? Um, I don't know. I think, well, one of the things that I... I think I do, and I think it may be the thing I have in common with, with, with Juno or Edwige and, or Patrick Chamiso and all the other Caribbean writers, is that I do respond to erasure. Hmm. I think that um, some of our stories are either not told or just erased. It's, it's, it, it, it saddens me when people say things like British Empire. I'm like, it's not an empire, it was an occupation. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's not an empire, empire means it's legit. Hmm. It was never legit. Uh, um, so I, part of one of the reasons is, is, is every time I try to look forward, I see behind me. And I think because I'm responding to erasure in history, um, I'm responding to stories either not told or, quite frankly, told by the wrong people. Mm -hmm. um, so I, 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 but to come to, to the, in the Jamaican um, scenario, I don't know. I think, I hope I'm one of the, the, the writers and artists who... Um, who, who remain committed that the voice, the voice that's coming out of my mouth is a mm -hmm. legitimate engine for art. Mm -hmm. And that's not always true. It's, um, I, I'll read um, a novel I have a huge respect for, like To Serve With Love. Mm. And I can't get past the language now because it's speaking to empire too much. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And I think that for a, lot of, for a while, I was raised that way, that the, 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 the voice of anything artistic, sophisticated, must be something I adopt by this myth of standard English. There's no mm -hmm. such thing as standard English. Right. Yeah, it's like saying exactly. perfect English. There's no such thing as perfect English. There's, mm -hmm. there's no such thing. Mm -hmm. um, so that's sort of, of, of reclaiming, you know, or just using the voice that I already have as a way to speak to complexity and, and, and intensity and difficulty and violence and history. And, um, and I think writers such as myself, we got that from the musicians. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think because... Which musicians? Like reggae musicians. Mm -hmm. Bob Marley, Peter Tosh, um, Bonnie Wheeler, um, Burning Spear, Dennis Brown, but even the dancehall artists, Michigan and Smiley mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, you know, and Admiral Bailey and all of that. 
that um, the idea that you could use, again, the voice that you come out of your mouth to speak to really complicated issues. Because I think for a long time, and even now, there are times when I start a, a, a scene that's in part one, everybody expects slapstick. Really? Yeah. Just because of the language they expect it to be? Yeah, man. It's like, put a joyful news with Matty and then sit down, yeah, man. I'm glad I got a boss and all of that. And that is, uh -huh. and, 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 and why not? I think that there is, there is variety to any experience. Sure. But I think sometimes that the, 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 there's this idea that it's a sort of step and fetch it thing mm. that's going to mm -hmm. come. And, um, and when it's, it's actually... class as well, I presume. Yeah. When, when it was actually going to come is something very complicated, sometimes funny, sometimes deeply tragic, mm -hmm. um, always complicated. You can't, you can, nothing you can just right. draw a conclusion about. I love that word reasoning used in the Jamaican context, mm -hmm. you know, meaning to use whatever language is your own language, but to actually express very complex thought. Yeah. Um, I want to go maybe a little bit further into, into music and also mm -hmm. if you're finding your voice as a writer, because as I understand it, you, you kind of came up in a very kind of classical education, which yeah. I, and I imagine that you did not use patois in your English literature classes. Is that fair to say? I don't know if my teacher would agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, tell us about that. What was that like? I mean, was, it, was that integrated into you learning the classics in Jamaica as a, as a young person? Well, I mean, I was a very transition, I was a transitional year, so we were still, we're still learning Dickens and George Eliot, and I'm grateful, grateful for that. In a lot of ways, I still consider myself a Victorian novelist. <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> I know. I love Just that. with lots of explicit gay sex. <laughs> um, but also, you know, my, my generation, my year was when we started to read um, stuff like The Year in San Fernando and Miguel Street and mm -hmm. all, these, all these Caribbean novels. And, mm -hmm. and I mean, Caribbean poetry got there way early. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, even now, the, you know, I think fiction, we, we fiction writers are just catching up to the poets. Mm -hmm. And, but the, 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 the idea that beyond this doing Caribbean literature or, or paying attention to Caribbean stuff because you have to, but that's just something you can actually be proud of and actually find a world of wonder in. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I think the first time Jamaican literature in a Jamaican voice blew my mind was Jean Binta Breeze. Because I didn't know you could do that. And I was here, and it's not like it's the first time I'm hearing patois or, or anything, but I just, the, the, I mean, the stuff she was saying, mm -hmm. um, I just didn't know. And, um, and that was part of a, a whole sort of education that was happening while my education uh, was happening. And, and was this you educating yourself, or was this coming to you through the curriculum? I think it was both. The, the, like a big turning point for me in English lit class was doing Huckleberry Finn. Oh yeah, I remember Huckleberry Finn. Yeah, but the whole idea of, <laughs> of, of a novel told through, mm -hmm. through dialect right. was something that was just radical mm -hmm. and, um, and not the way I was, certainly not the way I was initially raised. Mm -hmm. you know, this, this idea, if, if you've learned proper English, you should speak a proper English. And the problem with that is that we end up with, we don't end up writing proper English, we end up writing Victorian English. Right. So it's very overheated and overdone. Hmm. And because that scene is more literary. It's seen as more literary. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it's, it's, I, I, I mean, I used to believe, yeah, why use a five-letter word when I can use a ten-letter one? There's <laughs> a lot of writers who still think I'm that. I'm telling way. you, I use the word ignominy for years. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Um, and, and so where, where did music come in in terms of shaping your voice, in terms of like what you mm -hmm. were taking from you know, Peter Tosh lyrics or whoever it might be, Shabaranks or whoever? You know, I actually, yeah, I actually think it's more dancehall. I mean, by the time I was, you know, by the time I was growing up, growing up in, um, in the 70s and especially the 80s, reggae was my parents' music. Right. Mm -hmm. you know, roots reggae was, you know, it was older people music. Right. I, I, I wanted to hear a sling thing. And under my fat thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's as NSSW as I get. Um, yeah, and, and, and one, because it just, it just spoke to being young. Mm -hmm. And I think at that time, point, that was enough. But I also think dancehall, along with hip-hop, um, really helped shape the way I, I construct a sentence. How so? Meaning that I, I especially, I notice, probably notice it more when I, I write um, nonfiction, 
that you know, I will write, you know, in essence, you know, the professor is dropping a theory, but he's really just player-hating. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'll write an article. Right. And, and because I think that sort of mix and match, you have the authority to pick anything, choose whatever you want, throw away this, borrow this, steal that. Mm -hmm. um, is something that I grew up feeling entitled to. Right. And I think it was music that did that. Hmm. And it's not a matter of high or low. These are on the same plane at right. this point. Yeah. I, think it was, it's, yeah, I think it's music that did that. The, the whole idea of telling complicated stuff in as, as, as um, economical a way mm -hmm. as possible, hmm. I think is also, also comes from that. But also, and this can be overstated, having a sense of fearlessness. Because there was a time when the only people who were, who were truth speaking were the reggae musicians. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you certainly weren't going to find super critical articles about po all politicians in the press. You just mm -hmm. weren't. Mm -hmm. um, you'd have to go to a reggae record to find that. Hmm. Um, the, the, the breaking down the hypocrisies and contradictions of Jamaica's different social classes, mm -hmm. you have to go to We and Them to find that. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, Speaking to power and, 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 and sort of showing the emperor's clothes mm -hmm. is something that the musicians did, and I think they did it first. Hmm. Um, I don't know if this was ever an influence on you, but to me, one of the most groundbreaking kinds of culture that have come out of Jamaica is dub reggae, mm -hmm. um, and the way that music can be stripped down, reconstructed, deconstructed. Um, and I, I felt like I saw a little bit of that in the way that your uh, the structure of, of, of the most recent book mm -hmm. uh, would take place in, in, in the sense that you, know, you would sort of return with a difference in, in, with different yeah. characters and, and chapters would kind of echo one another and there was a sense of uh, reverb, for lack yeah. of a better term. Well, I was term, listening to know? a lot of dub when I was writing it. Is that really? Oh, yeah. That's I mean, there's, there's a reason why the, the first chapter is called Original Rockers. I was listening right. to Original Rockers huh. okay. by um, Augustus Pablo. Mm -hmm. Um, King Toby meets Rockers Uptown. Right. But the whole idea of, of restart, remix, mm -hmm. um, take the same thing and, you know, Jamaica's a version. That's right. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. The, the, the idea that one chapter is like a version of another. Yes. Um, a lot of times in this book, the characters are saying the same thing mm -hmm. and are reflecting on the same thing. And it could be just a very subtle inflection or the difference is the values right. um, that they have. But that idea of, 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 of constantly hovering and coming back to, mm -hmm. coming back to um, a point, an right. issue, a scene. Wheel and come again. Sata, yeah. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> um, how much do you want your readers to know all of this context as they sit down to read A Brief History of Seven Killings? Is it necessary mm -hmm. to know? I hope not. Reggae and I hope not, because then they won't buy it. But <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't, you know, I, I think, I hope there is enough of the history of the country, enough that it serves a narrative. Mm -hmm. um, I think that uh, they don't necessarily, I don't think they necessarily need a huge historical con context. I think if they need that for any novel, that's a problem with any novel. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have to go back and, and really score the 50s to get James Elroy. Because right. I think we, 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 we know, we're interested in history by how people live it how it reverberates, or you know, the people who have to endure it. Right. And, I, and I think that's, you know, there are things about the Civil War and the South that Huckleberry Finn can tell us that Shelby Foote can't tell us. So I think um, that as long as we get characters whose lives are, are well-lived and contradictory and, and um, human, mm -hmm. I think that's it. I think that's enough. Mm -hmm. um, 75 characters, though. Yeah. <laughs> so it does 75 require... 75 listed. There are more. Okay. There, are there more? <laughs> okay. <laughs> the book is challenging on that level, mm -hmm. just to kind of keep the whole, keep all the balls in the air as you're reading right. it, keep a, you know, a recollection of all of the different voices. Um, deliberate, obviously, in terms mm -hmm. of you know, what we were talking about earlier, capturing just the scope of what was going on and what you want to express. Yeah. Um, but how, as you're writing, how much are you thinking about, you know, is my reader with, still with me? Am I, am I, are they lo am I losing them? Um, well, you know, I'm, 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 I'm sort of very, I'm very big, I'm a very, um, how put this, put this, I'm very big on plot. Plot is very important to me. Hmm. Um, I actually draw plot charts. Okay, like on a wall. No, not that pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> like, Where do you draw them? <laughs> 
in a notebook. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I see. Much less pretentious. <laughs> Can you imagine walking into a room and seeing it on a wall? Like, no, so, but I do, I, 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 um, actually it is pretty pretentious because mm. I have every character in a row okay. and then I have times of day. Oh, really? So like 12 a.m., 1 a.m., 2 a.m., this mm. person is getting a drink, this person is dead, this mm. person is. Yeah. Um, because I knew I was dealing, I was holding a lot of balls yeah. in the air at the same time, and I didn't want to play favorites because that is very easy for a writer to do. Right. I didn't want to lose track of anybody. Um, but I also need to know when characters come in and come out. Um, of a scene. I'm really inspired by these really heavily populated films like Robert Altman's films, mm. um, like Nashville and, um, and, and Shortcuts. Shortcuts, yeah. And how you tell, a, and, and, and even um, Amores Perros, which actually was a huge influence on this book. Oh. Um, there's how do you tell multiple stories without it seeming that not everybody gets their fair share, I think. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it, it was, but I also, also had to um, get over my fear of will the audience understand this? Because that can cripple a writer. Yeah. You just set that aside entirely? Just, you know, no, what I did was say, I'll keep it till, until my editor takes it out. Right. And? And he didn't take anything out. I was like, dude, I'm going to take stuff out because you're worrying me. And I actually did. After he approved it to really? send it to press, yeah, I took it back and took 10,000 words out. You edited your edited I novel. edited my editor. I took 10,000 10, words out. Ten, that's a lot. That's dude. a lot. So you should know yeah. how big this book really was. So, <laughs> okay. It was, huh. Yeah, we, we, we did all these dirty tricks for the book. Like widen the margin. Really? Yeah, because if people ever knew how big, it's not a 700 page, it's actually a 900 page book. <laughs> it's not a 700 page book. So, That's what students do with term papers. Yeah. It's <laughs> hilarious. And I can tell, I'm like, this is 10 point Cambria. Right. <laughs> what are you doing? Wow, that is hilarious. Okay, well, it feels substantial still. You know. um, you, uh, there's a, a great line in, uh, in the book fairly early on. Josie Wales says, in Jamaica, you have to make sure that you breed properly, mm -hmm. which I found evocative in a lot of different ways, to go back to this idea of class. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, we've talked about class in terms of language and patois, but there's also class very much in terms not just of you know, economic status, mm -hmm. social uh, capital, um, skin color, yeah. shadism, all of those kinds of things, which are reflected very much in the novel. And you see the characters navigating them, kind mm -hmm. of going up and down the ladders, um, and, and almost literally being blocked from entry to some places because of the shade mm -hmm. of their skin. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, both from a yeah, personal literary because context. I don't think the, the, the average Jamaican realizes how much navigation she does in one day. Mm -hmm. um, navigating race, navigating shadism, um, you're cool in this scenario, but you're not cool here. Right. You can come to this place, but we're probably not going to let you into this nightclub. Mm -hmm. And there are certain parties you'll never be invited to unless you're sleeping with an expatriate. Huh. Um, yeah, the, the, the navigating the bank. Oh, um, yeah? How does that work? You know, the, the sort of, are you dressed properly so they'll mm. pay attention to you? Are you, right. you not dressed properly? Mm -hmm. um, navigating gender, navigating, um, you know, we, we have a very patriarchal sexist culture. Um, yeah, the, 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 just, so just um, um, this week, you know, that, that mayor in Trinidad is trying to suggest that woman's murder was her fault, mm. Uh, mm. which is, I could say a word, but we're in a library. It's <laughs> um, a lot of words in this library. No, but, the, 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 it's, it's, but I don't, I, the thing is, I didn't realize that until I went to the States and came back. Oh, really? I didn't realize just how much negotiating and code switching and minor racisms and major racisms. It's amazing what we go through in one day. I mean, before I, before I, I um, traveled and came back. I thought it was perfectly normal that Jamaicans don't get let into a nightclub because they have on a t-shirt, but tourists are fine. Right. Mm -hmm. It didn't occur to me. I just think, mm -hmm. oh, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll go get a shirt. <laughs> mm -hmm. And now I'm like, no, that's some racist crap. It's, right. it's, um, because in Jamaica, I think we sometimes think that we don't have a race problem, we have a class problem. Mm -hmm. And we do have class problems. So the pro but if you're going to say it's not race, it's class, then, then we have some amazing series of coincidences happening for the past 300 years. 
<laughs> it's, uh, it's, um, but you, it's, it's, if you're in Jamaica, that is your normal. Mm-hmm. And your normal is normal until somebody tells you it's abnormal. Right. Uh, what, what was the, diff- the key difference for you between the U.S., which obviously has all kinds of you know, race mm-hmm. dimensions to it as well, and Jamaica? Um, well, I think one of the key differences is I, get, I'm, I think I'm a lot more loud about, about um, racism now in Jamaica when I, and, and call it out more, but I just take it as normal. Mm. It's, not, it's, um, it's not normal to have a song celebrating a woman having a lighter skin than everybody else. Right. It's not normal. Mm-hmm. That's an aberration. That's mm-hmm. not, it's, it's not something you should even look at as fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the... the, the even the ways, that, like one of the things that I actually found, that I found really interesting, and Orlando Patterson talked about this in an essay that he wrote after, I think, um, Barack Obama's second term, when he said, just as a throwaway, meanwhile, the Jamaican cannot recognize racism even when directed at him. <laughs> and huh. I mean, that's some serious shade. Yeah. But, st- <laughs> yeah. but I thought about it, and I was like, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think actually, it's, I, have, I remember... Uh, I remember um, I, was at, I was at dinner in Minneapolis, and Minneapolis is like the liberals' liberal state. Right. And as soon as me and my friend established that we were good black, hmm. meaning, meaning we're not like them, <laughs> right, okay. it turned into kind of a KKK rally. Really? And my friend didn't, re- I said, did you, did you realize the point where this whole dinner got super racist? Mm. It's like, no. It's like, yeah, black people are lazy and so on. So I'm like, you got the opinion from a white cop. Hmm. It's, it's, and we just, just, even now, if we were to sit here on a stage, you would still deny it. Really? It's like nothing happened. I'm like, Did you notice? No, it's just incapable huh. of, 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 of seeing it. And I think what happens is that there are abuses. Um, I remember um, a friend of mine was just watching TV in this, night, in this restaurant. The TV was going on. It was the news. It was on. She's watching it. And these tourists were just complaining that they can't hear their voice and they can't hear their voice. And someone who worked at the, 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 the restaurant just came over and just turned it off, just right in front of her face. Hmm. And um, because I don't care, I just made it a Facebook post. Right. And I was like, you gotta love how racism is cute in Jamaica. Like, <laughs> and, and, and so on. I was like, no, it wasn't meant to be that. I was like, of course it was meant to be that. Huh. And I think it's. Um, Things I think we need to talk about in, in Jamaica. Now, you don't live in Jamaica anymore. Um, would you go back to live? Would I go back to live? I don't know. Maybe when I'm like 60. <laughs> 60 and I, and I don't care. What would need to change, either in you or in Jamaica? I don't know if, 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 if I think, I don't know. I think there, there, there are things about Jamaica that I think Jamaica needs to let go of. Certainly mm-hmm. the homophobia. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... Um, I think we need to demand more of the people who put in charge of the country. I don't think we do. I don't think we, we hold a, I mean, I, I was in Jamaica last week, and it was nomination day, so the election is, is coming up. And the thing that strikes somebody outside of Jamaica, if they go back doing an election here, they go, but, but I heard that four years ago, hmm. five years ago. I heard this in 86, and 76, hmm. and 65. Uh, it's the same. It's the same rhetoric. It's the same promise that I have. I think somebody and 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 I think somebody literally said, "I have a million dollar, a billion dollars waiting to whatever." It's like mm-hmm. we're still doing it. We're still we're still we're still playing politics the same way. Mm-hmm. And I think that would need to change. Term limits would be nice. <laughs> there are no term limits. No. no. It'd be, yeah, that's, <laughs> wow. Um, I want to ask you a little bit more about homophobia. Mm-hmm. And you tell me, because in, in the book, there is a very strong kind of macho culture with some of the, some of right. the characters who, who live by that, and homophobia is a part of that for them. Mm-hmm. Um, from your perspective, how much is the homophobia in Jamaica, which is not like the racism in the sense that there's discrimination. People get killed. It's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's brutal. It's murderous. Yeah. Um, how much is that connected to the sense of Jamaican manhood? I don't know. I think, I think it's, it's the Jamaican manhood thing can sometimes be low-hanging fruit. Mm. And I'm not knocking it. I think um, Jamaican homophobia and Jamaican and sex, I mean, anywhere, homophobia and sexism are pretty much a marriage. Mm. 
Um, and usually, B don't, B don't get people I can, I can you know, find my homophobe, I can scratch and find a sexist. It's, they're, 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 I think they're interrelated. But I think one of the things, but that doesn't explain, explain why ours is so acute. Mm -hmm. And I think why ours is so acute is that it gets legitimacy from the church. Uh -huh. Because the last mm -hmm. two or three anti-gay rallies in Jamaica were all church rallies. Mm. Uh, and we might, we might as well just talk about it. Mm. It's the, the 20,000 strong protesting against the Burgery Law wasn't led by, wasn't led by a dancehall DJ. Mm. Mm. Uh, reggae musicians always get the hit right. for homophobia because they're easy targets. Yeah. And, uh, and nobody talks about how you know, our establishment, and particularly religion, legitimizes it. It's, there's, the quickest way for hate to hatred to grow is to legitimize it. Mm -hmm. A reggae musician is not gonna legit, does not legitimize hate. Um, you know, the, 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 the blessing of the Lord and so on. Mm -hmm. um, and it's funny because there are actually quite a few open-minded churches in Jamaica. Hmm. It's always complicated. That's why, which is why I usually don't join in the let's just j join in and condemn the country right. thing. I mean, I was there for a good, a, a good week and nothing happened to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, you know, I met with LGBT organizations, and man, those, those especially kids, they just gave me hope. They were just like, I don't have time to worry about hatred. I want to I decode the new Beyonce video. <laughs> and I'm like, As do we all. I, I was like, <laughs> that was a whole other thing. Yeah, I, I, I recognize the complication, but also recognize that it is acute. It is, it is um, I, I, my, my, my hope, and, and it's more a hope, sort of half hope, half advanced theory, is that it's sort of the last gasp of a dying, oh, yeah. of okay. a dying movement. Okay. And this is why it sounds so loud. Right. Let's hope so. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Being a movie person, I love that there's movies. Oh my God, so present in the book. I can't believe we're just now getting. To I, know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I left it too long, but you know, it's a literary crowd, mm. library. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're doing it at our place. I do it differently. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Books, books, I could have just written a screenplay and yeah, 120 pages, and I'd be done. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, HBO's optioned this mm -hmm. book. Yes, <laughs> so look for that. What should a brief history of seven killings look like on screen? Oh my God. You see, this is a really, you see, I really hope nobody from HBO hears this part. Mm -hmm. Because if it's one thing they cast, then is when the writer wants to direct. Yeah, sure. You know that. Oh yeah, of course. You know when you read a script and you yeah. can tell the screenwriter wants to direct. Right, I see it all. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. When they actually talk about tracking shot, I'm like, stop that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so without sounding like I want, mm -hmm. I don't know. I, they're, 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 I think they have to get, they have to get the grit, they have to get the pulse. It, mm -hmm. it, it should even, uh, even with the volume off, it should look like music. Mm -hmm. uh, it mm -hmm. should look, like, it, it mm -hmm. should, it should explode with color. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it should be. I mean, the one film I think get it in terms of visuals is, is Rockers. Oh yes, yes. It's, uh -huh. It has yeah. to have incredible style because mm -hmm. Jamaicans don't even realize they have incredible, especially in the <laughs> 70s. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. They just throw that on. I mean, you know, if Jamaicans ever knew that nearly every designer watches rockers before they plan their, their spring collection, <laughs> they'll all lie. But they all do it. They all watch rockers uh -huh. before they go plan their spring collections. Wow. So they have to get that. But they also have to get the... the, the for want of a better word, term, magical realism hmm. of Jamaica. So it has to have the grit and the pulse, but it also has to have the ridiculousness. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'd say, and, and you know, you want to see 1976 Jamaica, you probably have to go to Lagos. Yes, yes, yeah. Lagos is unbelievable. Oh my God, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're gonna wrap up soon because we have some questions from you, hmm. but um, I want to ask you uh, one final question before we open it up which is about there and here, there being Jamaica. Mm -hmm. There are a quarter million Jamaican Canadians living in this country, most of them in the Toronto area. Yep. There might be one or two in there the audience. There might be one or two. Maybe. Um, I'm gonna guess three. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I wanna ask you about 
diaspora, mm -hmm. and how do you view that, that dynamic relationship between Jamaicans in Jamaica, right. what's going on there right now, and Jamaicans in Toronto, in London, in New York, Miami, et cetera? Mm -hmm. Well, one of the funny things about the diaspora, this is uh, the funny things, I think when you live in the diaspora, sooner or later, Jamaicans learn irony. <laughs> And then when it goes back to Jamaica and realize, how did you not get that? Uh, really? Yeah, like uh, there's an ad that came out where this, these, um, this Jamaican flag is in this German, I think, cafe, and, and the flag catches fire by accident. And somebody drag, rushes outside with it and is stomping the fire out. And people <laughs> see it and think they're stomping on the Jamaica flag. Right. And it turns into a whole thing. And mm. South Africa say, if they're going to trash Jamaica, we'll, they're going to trash Jamaica, we'll trash them. And <laughs> the whole world comes out on the side of Jamaica. And there's a huge pro-Jamaica parade and <laughs> flags everywhere. <laughs> Until the guy looks up and goes, what just happened? <laughs> if you're in the diaspora, you get that. If right. you're in the country, you thought that was the biggest insult to Jamaica really? in history. Huh. It was amazing. They were livid. They were protesting. They sent a letter to the embassy. Really? Yeah, they absolutely thought it was the most disgusting, vile thing they've ever seen. So why, why irony in because the diaspora we, and not in Jamaica? Because we don't learn it. This, this, is, <laughs> this is my theory, because I was in India where I formulated this theory, yeah. that I think British colonial masters mm -hmm. taught the, their subjects a lot of things, but not irony, because they know we use it to laugh at them. Yes, 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 right. It's a dangerous tool, right? Yeah, because so, I can pick up when they're laughing at other mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah, so we, we, we so I think we, yeah, we, the, sometimes I think we miss that part. Mm -hmm. And we take some, which is funny because, I mean, we laugh all the time. Right, but not in an ironic way. Not in an ironic yeah, way. India's interesting because, of course, in Bollywood cinema, for a long, long time, there was no irony, very, yeah. very little irony. Now there is, but it changed. So yeah. I think your theory might have some. But I also think right. that the, the diaspora forces, like gay rights, mm -hmm. like, um, um, uh, you know, um, gender issues, like sexism and so on. I think the diaspora helps to complicate that discussion because, because the diaspora is so closely linked to the country, the country can't necessarily dismiss it. You can't, yeah. Nobody can tell me, this is a Jamaican issue, you can't be a part of it. I'm like, no, I, I will stop sending you Western Union money tomorrow. <laughs> to say, right. say, yes, <laughs> yes. Good. So, so it's, there's a symbiosis going yeah, on, right? We're like, connected. Yeah, I'm like, recognize. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to leave it there for now. I'm going to open it up to you. Um, uh, we have a microphone here right in the center. Um, so if you've got a question, and please, a question. Uh, <laughs> for Marlon. Oh, you know us. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, no yeah. two-thirds of them out there are like, right. not a yes. question, a comment. Yeah, just want to, yeah, no exactly. One. No, no, we don't, <laughs> the comments, you know, that's what Facebook's for. Um, but if you got a question, please approach the microphone. It's right here, and, uh, and we'll get started. Somebody's coming up. I might seek a question. Are you going to be quick? Yes. Okay, all right. Yes. <laughs> hey, Marlon. Hey. John Bronski here. How are you doing? Long time. Jeremy John Harding Bronski. says, what's up? <laughs> when I was in Jamaica in 1990, 1996 when I met you, mm -hmm. when we did the Sean Paul record and the Beanie Man record, as a North American, I was having a hard time adjusting to living in Kingston as an adult. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> you told me, because you came into the studio and you said, John B., a Jamaican will always reinvent the wheel and tell you. Uh, you still believe that? Yeah, Jamaicans, we, we, that's the other thing. We didn't learn that modesty thing. <laughs> Sometimes I have to teach myself. People go, you look good. I go, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, I think Jamaicans also, we, 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 cannot, we, we sometimes Columbus ourselves. You know, we're like, yeah, man, we invent the remix. Actually, that one was true. But um, <laughs> see, I'm doing it right now. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think there is a, there is a certain kind of, 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 of swagger, I think, with Jamaicans. We know this because other people in the Caribbean keep telling us that. <laughs> and, um, but I also think that, that a lot of, of, of um, art can come out of attitude. And, um, and I, I like people who are never told that they couldn't do something. Uh, and I think um, sometimes I, I run across this, particularly when I do workshops in the Caribbean, that by the time they enter my classroom, there are just so many things they've been told 
that they can do. If I hear one more person tell me that they're going to be poor because they're a poet. I had a student who told me that I know they make more money than me. <laughs> and he thinks I'm joking when I say I want commission. I'm like, no. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> I don't know if that even answers the question. <laughs> I mean, and it still exists. I mean, like Jeremy says, and you agree too, like mm -hmm. Jamaicans are very creative artistically and doing so much good work everywhere. So I mm -hmm. guess we are reinventing the wheel? I, I, or maybe we're just bringing, bringing attention to more wheels are out, that are out there, I think. Um, there, there are so many ways, there's so many voices out there and so many ways to tell a story. And, um, and I think, yeah, I think um, Jamaicans, for better or worse, always think they're in competition with the whole world. Mm. And I can't lie, I do that. <laughs> and I think that's it. Thank you very much. Nice seeing you, buddy. I'll yeah. talk to you later, man. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Yes. Hello. I just want to ask about other projects that you're working on. I heard mm -hmm. that you're working on um, an, a similar African Game of Thrones. And How if that you thing are... really went viral. <laughs> I didn't even think anybody read that magazine. Uh, <laughs> and how's that going? Everything is and... everywhere now. Yeah. So this, this, happened, this happened years ago when I was having an argument with somebody about Lord of the Rings, about the new movie, The Hobbit. This was before, when the cast, the cast was announced, and the cast was, for want of a better word, sorely lacking in diversity. And I was like, you know, if, 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 if an Asian hobbit was in the shire, nobody would care. Mm. And um, my friend said, well, you know, Lord of the Rings reflects Celtic mythology, and it's, it's European, and it's British, and it's Norse. And I'm like, Lord of the Rings isn't real. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's, um, it's like when people say Santa Claus is white. Santa Claus isn't real. <laughs> and then, I, and in the middle of having this argument, I realized I did not want to have this argument anymore. I was like, you know what? Keep your damn hobbit. <laughs> so I, <laughs> and I, that was one of the things. But also, just in 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 you know, discovering and rediscovering African history and mythology and folklore and I, even the epic tradition. I realized I just wanted to tell a story based and on Caribbean all that. And Caribbean folklore as well, to add huh? to that. And Caribbean folklore? No, not Caribbean. Okay. I, I wanted to stay away from Caribbean. I wanted actually to go African way, way back, like the, the 900s. Before, even before Islam. So I really wanted to explore and, and hover in that, in that universe. That'd be amazing. Look forward to it. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Hi, my name is Michelle Thompson. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I could listen to you all day because I'm thinking about Jamaica. I'm from Jamaica, obviously. Yeah. Um, my question is, I am writing my first novel. Actually, I did send in a manuscript. Unfortunately, yeah. it was accepted. But I wanted to eventually be in the school systems and mm -hmm. really speak to how we live. Like, it's loosely based on my life in mm -hmm. Jamaica. And I, the patois. I just don't know how far to go with the patois. And I, mm -hmm. I just wondered if you struggle with that. Yeah. Marlon, before you answer that, can oh. you just tell us how many times your first novel was rejected? Oh, 78. <laughs> All right, so oh. don't give up. Okay. So, it was like, my book was rejected five times. I'm like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and also, and, 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 and it's not as if the story got a lot better with the second novel. Riverhead published my second novel. Riverhead from Penguin Random House, they published it, but nobody else wanted it. Mm. So it was still, I was still dealing with that. But to come back to, the, pat the, the patois thing is tricky yeah. because I don't think there's a standardized patois and I also don't think there should be. Mm. Um, one of the, 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 I guess, concessions I'd say I make is sometimes, is I, sometimes I'll write the, the, the standard English spelling and hope that the, the, the rhythm and the juxtaposition because, you know, no matter how proper you spell the book them, it's the book them. <laughs> uh, I don't think you have to worry about T-H versus D-E-M. Or D-A-T for that, that. It, yeah, we, but, but, also have that. that but I also have characters we know in the book. Mm. Um, I, you know, I think it, it, it really boils down to how, who you want to communicate with. Like, all my swear words I spell, like, I spell out in standard English because I think when I spell them phonetically, people miss the root of them. Yeah. Um, so I think, it, and for me, it actually ended up being almost a word-by-word -word decision. Is Kant going to be Kant here or is it going to be Kya? It, it really, 
It's, I, I don't have a, a hard and fast answer for that. I think it really, it, 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 you'll find that you're doing it line by line. The thing is, I tried to get it published in North America, and I didn't, so I had to go to Jamaica. I don't know if you're familiar with LMH Publishing. I think I know them, yeah. Yeah. So they accepted it. Mm -hmm. And hopefully by June, we'll have it out. But then mm. when he sends it back to me to do the editing, I'm just wondering if I should put F-I for four. No, or, or don't. D this is where, once, once a book reaches the editor, I stop adding anything. Okay. I was like, if the editor says, you know, what do you think about this? If you agree, then fix it. But other than that, yeah, they, they, one of the things, uh, they, they, yeah, when, once a book, I don't know, like I treat, I treat um, I'm like a deadbeat dad with my books. <laughs> so once it's with, with the editor, I'm not gonna read the whole thing again. I couldn't okay. care less. You want me to fix this line, I'll fix it. Just don't let me go anywhere near that thing again. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so you know, you know, a, a sort of healthy distance mm. okay. from work. Thank you, we Very have to good. move on Thank to you. the next question. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, my name is Nadia Hahn. Wow, Hi. this is loud. Um, I had a two-part question, and the first part was already asked by my colleagues. Good. So, um, so <laughs> <laughs> let's knock them out. Um, my two questions, I have two new ones now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's the writer and me. Um, one of the you might repeat, have to repeat the second part because I'll forget. But okay, go to the first the part. The first question is, what is your process? Because I just wrote the... Um, the first draft of my middle grade novel. Mm -hmm. A lot of it, there's patwa in it. Mm -hmm. um, I've showed it to a few people, and I've been told similar things that it, it's um, can it's a for middle grade, um, so grade I guess four to grade seven, mm -hmm. and it'll break up their um, you know people are reading it, they'll be wondering oh what's that, and they have to look it up or wonder or stumble on a word, and it'll break the flow. Mm -hmm. for young people so but my question is about now the editing process how do you avoid like getting lost in the novel because like I your novel so, you have 75 characters here mm -hmm. you plot it out but as you're going through it and editing it mm -hmm. how do you avoid getting just you know how do you what's your process like but what but I don't know if something is necessarily wrong with getting lost in a novel mm -hmm. Because I think sometimes we're the last people to admit what parts of our books work. And I think if, if, you are, if, if there are parts of your novel that you're paying a lot more attention to than other parts, it may simply be that it's just better than the other parts. Um, I think though, when, when I, I usually never combine writing and editing in the same thing. Like I, I'm a write straight to the end and go back and look at it. Um, kind of, that's one of the things I do. It doesn't work for everybody. Some writers need to stop, reassess. I feel confident. I can't move on. I think you have to figure out. There is no hard and fast way, um, you know, to, to 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 do that to do that process. I don't really have a process. Each book demands a different process from me. Right down to when I write. Mm -hmm. um, my second novel, I wrote five in the morning till nine, and uh, and and because nine I at night. No, five in the morning to nine in the, after, in the morning. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, I had to go to work. My, 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 my former business partner is right in the front row. He knows. Um, you know, I had, so I had, to go to, I had to go to work. So, um, but for example, this I wrote um, mostly in the afternoons in pretty much every cafe in the state of Minnesota. Uh, I, think, I, think the book, I think the book will tell you the process. I think Thank the book you. will tell you the process. Okay. And my second Thank question you. is oh, about. I thought, I thought that was two Ms. questions. No, no. My second question, sorry, is <laughs> Miss really Lou. Sorry, I had to ask about Miss Lou and her influence on. Um, she, I, I believe she was, uh, you know, a trailblazer mm -hmm. and helped us to celebrate our the Patwa and, and Jamaican um, uh, language. Mm -hmm. um, how do you? What do you see your relevance in today, uh, in Jamaica? I think, you know, it's funny because I used to be, I, 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 just, I mean, it's, it's, I'm not, you know, it's out there in the, in the ether that I have been in the past critical of her and, um, and sometimes think that some of the stuff is too slapstick. But I also think that there is a certain, there's a slyness and a wit to her. And I think um, that that is important to remember that Colonization Reverse is actually a pretty, pretty brutal poem that, um, that I think she, she certainly, it's easy for young writers like me to, to just banish these writers at, instead of finding the nuance in them. It's like when newer generation writers were dismissing Zora Neale Hurston. Mm. 
Um, so I think there, there is that there. There is, I think we can talk about cleverness. I'm talking about she at some point was literally speaking to Empire and laughing at them. So I think in, in that regard, she's, she is very, very important. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my name is Angela. I've been a bookseller in Toronto for 20 years. And um, yeah, I have a question. Where actually, I work for the bookstore that's selling the books tonight in another story. Nice. But I You're had my a best question. friend. <laughs> yes, <excuse me. laughs> But I had a question because we all know as booksellers that awards sell books. Mm -hmm. And you just won the Man Booker Award, which is a huge achievement. So I wanted to congratulate you. But I wanted to ask two questions. One was, what was, what was going through your head when you heard you won that award? Mm -hmm. And two, what is, what is the meaning of that as an award that is really rooted in British Empire, right? It's yeah. an award of the Commonwealth countries. So. <laughs> well, what, 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 what was going through my head? Absolutely nothing, because I didn't think I was going to win. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, 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 I think the pictures of, of, of when I won are hilarious, because I was genuinely shocked. Yeah. Um, the journalist beside me knew I won before. And we're talking the whole night. And she's like, so did you write an, an acceptance speech? I'm like, no, I'm not going to win. Yeah. Hmm. And she's like, I really think you should write an acceptance speech. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm not going to write one. It's like, this is what you should say. Yeah. And I was like, even then you didn't. Even then, yeah. it just, it just wow. didn't. It, so I was, um, you know, I was genuinely, genuinely shocked about it. Yeah. Um, the Booker Prize... Look, the book is like the Commonwealth Prize. Yeah. These things are going to be very, yeah. very complicated. Yeah. And yes, I still have mixed feelings even as I grab that meaty check. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because, <laughs> because my conflicted feelings look, look, is a lot better when I'm wearing a really expensive tux. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, but I think, but here's the thing though. I think it's complicated for me, but I think a, winning, a win like mine or Kiran's yeah. also complicates it for them. Yeah. I think, especially a novel like Kiran decides, where it, it wins this very British establishment prize about a character who rejects Britain. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's a whole new thing for the immigrant narrative. Yeah. Reject, this, reject the, the, the mother or whatever yeah. that is yeah. and go back to country of origin. Yeah. So I think that, that it, it, it's... Hopefully, I think that um, these novels like mine, because I know my novel agitates a lot of people who, who read it. Um, they talk about difficulties, and they didn't think it was going to be this much patois. One person thought, because it said that the, the subhead is the finest novel in the English language, which is no way you can prove that. <laughs> but she thought it meant the finest written standard English. Oh. Oh. So she was horrified. She actually oh. sent a letter to the Mann Foundation, like, oh. this is not English. Seriously. Wow. So I, I take it both ways. It's complicated for yeah. me knowing all of the history, but I'm, I think I take a lot of, of satisfaction knowing that it complicates it for them as well. Mm. And what about all the extra attention? Because you must have been getting a lot more media and a lot more... Well, a lot know. of people pay attention to my Facebook posts, I notice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's, yeah. it's, it's kind of, it was kind of a scandal in India when I was there. Mm. Uh, among other things. Yeah, yeah it's, um, I just, you know, I, I come out of media. I find a lot of it hilarious. A lot of people ask me, are you going to tone down your Facebook post? I'm like, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> well, so, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. One question, please. <laughs> one. I'm going to answer okay, it short and punchy. I, ha I have yeah. one. So I'm sure, like many readers, I flipped back and forth through brief history of seven mm -hmm. killings, trying to make sure I captured the important pieces of dialogue, etc. And maybe I miscounted, but I'm pretty sure there were way more than seven killings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the title of the book yeah. and whether it refers to specific seven or... Mm -hmm. It refers to seven of the eight men who tried to kill him. Okay. So, and that really, one of the reasons why I am, I personally figured, when I came up with the name Brief History of Seven Kings, I still thought it was going to be a short novel. <laughs> so it would make sense. <laughs> but it took me around a thousand pages to kill all seven of them. Because they just wouldn't die. Um, and that's really what happened. It really was supposed to be this kind of short novella. I really, I, this is the first novel where I actually set out on page length and actually set out to write a short, my shortest novel. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. So that really is how the brief came about, which would have made, been a lot more 
You know, it would have made a lot more sense if it was a short novel. <laughs> um, and the seven were just the, the, those seven guys. A lot more than seven people die. A lot more. A lot more than seven, uh, seven people die. But that's really how, how it came about and what the seven represents. Thank you. Thank you. Final question. You better make it count. Good night, gentlemen. There's this theory that writers write to power. So mm -hmm. women write to men or for men. Mm -hmm. um, black people write to white people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the empire writes to the center. Um, Toni Morrison actually was unapologet unapologetic when she says she writes for black people. Mm -hmm. There's no white critic on her shoulder looking mm -hmm. over her, her writing. So maybe I would like if you could talk about um, how much you think about your audience mm -hmm. and who do you write for and who do you write to? Thank you. Oh, that's a great question. Um, especially if you've seen a few fa Facebook posts of mine about that. Um, I, I, I really want to write for myself. I, um, I, I think you can write for audience and write for yourself. I don't think that's a contradiction in terms. I think writing for others is a question of craft. Am I clear? That's as much as I give an audience. That's it. Is, is it clear? That's it. That's all I'm giving them. Other than that, I, I write, yeah, I write for myself. I think you, you have to be confident that you're, you're, you're telling the best story. Are you doing your best work? And that's all. And um, the, 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 the closest I come to a comparison is I'll, the, I'll compare my books to the to previous books. And if I'm not writing better prose than the one before it, I usually abandon that prose or that book or so on. I mean, I've abandoned a 500-page novel because I just didn't think it was as good as the one that it was coming after. Um, but I think the, the, the whole thing about write for is a very serious question because even if I write for myself, that doesn't necessarily mean my editor has that same idea. And it doesn't mean my publisher has the same idea. It certainly doesn't even mean my reviewer has the same idea. I think that we still um, have these ideas about audience. I, I, you know, I got into a lot of hot water when I said about writers of color pander to white women. And, I was men and then I mentioned to, I, I showed actually a white woman how even white women pander to white women because this mm. white woman who we're pandering to does not exist. Mm. Uh, it's this idea of what people will read. Um, somebody's out there reading, reading Dennis Lehane, and it's not all men. Uh, somebody's out there reading X-Men comics, and I can tell you it's not just men. Yeah? But the, the, the idea, the, the, a lot of writers of color, and writers of color even in the audience, can tell you about that discussion about their book cover. You know, we need, we need a sort of a passive, well-dressed black woman looking out a window doing this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> or she's just doing this. <laughs> uh, who's that? Who's that? Who's that sort of pandering to? Um, my second novel, I was asked by an editor who shall remain nameless, would I consider rewriting the whole thing in, in, in a distance third person? I'm like, you want Jane Austen with Negroes? <laughs> Who's that pandering to? It is pandering to an idea of an audience which I actually don't think exists. So I think we, it's, it's something we need, to, we need to, to have longer discussions about. And, and, um, and yeah, talk about it seriously. As I say, I don't write for an audience. That does not mean that other players in the industry don't think about audience when they're selling or marketing your book. Yeah. Excellent point. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for coming this evening. There will be a book signing. Marlon, I just want to thank you for taking time talk to talk to us today. You've elevated us, I think, <laughs> uh, with your conversation and with your writing. So thank you very much. Marlon James. Thanks for having me.